Hey, what's happening, everybody? We have a brand new episode of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here. And we are at the start of the Grapefruit League schedule, and we're starting to kind of see a little bit of action now. We finally got to check out the Phillies on television on Monday afternoon, playing the Orioles to a glorious 4-4 tie. If that doesn't scream early spring training baseball, I don't know what does, but... (laughs) It was better than looking at, uh, you know, the in-play runs on the MLB.com app, you know, which is what we had to deal with on Sunday in the opener. So we got to look at the Phillies yesterday. And now Anthony and I are, are getting together here and kind of breaking down some early impressions, trying to make sense of some of the important camp battles and what to keep an eye on throughout the month of March as we lead into opening day on April 1st against the Atlanta Braves. And Anthony, the big news for me yesterday wasn't exactly that Aaron Nola made his spring debut or that, you know, we saw a towering home run from Matt Joyce or any of that stuff. To me, the the story of the day was the fact that it looks like we are going to get a decent amount of fans at Citizens Bank Park on opening day. That's the story for me. Yeah, and when you say a decent amount, I think they said, what, 8,000? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a – that's more than I thought it was going to be, Bob. I, it's, a, I, it's a tangible crowd. Like, if yeah. you're at the stadium, you're going to say there were actually people at this game, you know? Yeah, I, I remember going to games when the team sucked that had 8,000 people. Yeah. And, and you kind of still – it was still a cool experience, right? Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, that's that's fantastic news. Um, I, I love that we are on our way out of this thing, out of, out of the pandemic. I mean, obviously, there's – we're going to have to listen to, you know, phrases like social distancing and, you know, wear your masks and all that stuff for probably another year. And we're probably gonna have to endure that for another year. Um, but at the same time, it's cool to be able to have normalcy again. Granted, it's not a full house and there's going to be certain things that we have to do slightly differently than we did in the past. But the, it, the fact that opening day is still is going to have real people and not cardboard cutouts sitting in the stands. It's an exciting thing. E- even if this team was terrible, it would be an exciting thing. Um, so no, it's, to me, it's, it's really cool. And, and I think that, you know, I think fans are going to get on board with this team quick this year. I, I really do just, you know, just, just from reading the stories and, and paying attention to what's going on down in Clearwater, you get a real sense that there's, there's a, a, just a different feel. And I, I I hate to base opinions off of feelings, you know, how your gut tells you sometimes, but sometimes your gut knows better than than your head, right? And, and and I just get this sense, you know, I've been watching the YouTube videos, they're doing these mic'd up things now with the players, and they're not fantastic bits of video, but you get like fun little things from these players. They, they probably water those videos down a little bit, or those guys are on their yeah. best behavior while yeah. they know they got the mic on. <laughs> Dude, I turned on Letterkenny for the first time last night because of Brad Miller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was talking about it in the YouTube video. So, um, so yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I just get a sense with this team that there's a little bit, there's a little bit more to them, a little bit more juice than maybe in the, in the past couple seasons. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough division, but I, I'm actually excited, yeah, I, you know, which I haven't been for a while. Aaron Nola was asked about pitching in front of fans yesterday, uh, what it was like. And he says, it's kind of like I made my, my second spring training debut of my career, you know? And he said, 
you don't really realize what you have until it's gone more or less. And, and, you know, he, I think looks forward to the opportunity like most of these guys do. They said, you know, this is what we knew sports as this is what we knew baseball as. And so to be able to get some fans back in the stands at citizens bank park and not just, you know, 1500 or 2000, which is what the number would have been previously based on the state limitations, assuming Philadelphia follows suit, assuming everything kind of continues uh, along the lines that it appears and the, the direction that we appear that we're heading, um, it looks like we're going to get some fans out there, and that'll be really good. And I know for me last year, you know, being in the stadium, in the press box, it was just so bizarre. You know, I, I know it was terrible at home and the, the pumped-in crowd noise over the television and the cardboard cutouts. And baseball especially, I think it really hurt the product on television. I, I don't know. I, I felt like football, I kind of got more acclimated to it. You certainly missed out on an element, but baseball for me, when you did see the games on TV, I thought it really lacked something. So to get some fans back now and get some natural noise will be great. Well, baseball is the one sport where I think it has a natural soundtrack. Yeah. Right. I mean, and it's because the game is slower, played slower than the other sports. So like, you know, you talk about football and you talk about basketball and you talk about hockey, you kind of lose, lose track of the fact that there is, you know, ambient crowd noise even during the downtimes because the game moves so fast and there's not a lot of, you know, breaks in between. Whereas in baseball, I mean, there's 30 seconds between pitches sometimes. Right. And, and so you notice that, that din of the crowd and that's what makes it really cool. That's what makes it a great experience to watch a baseball game, even on TV. But I mean, especially in person, you, you have that and to miss that ambient noise, I mean, I have to imagine, I mean, what it was like for you guys down there. Just, it, it had to be just completely surreal. It was surreal for me to do a hockey game. <laughs> you know what no it was? Fans. It had to be more surreal for you at baseball. The uh, pandemic crew is definitely uh, accentuated <laughs> out there. You know, yes. you hear every conversation, every cowbell, you know, every yeah. air horn. And I mean, it was like they were right in your face because the way that the stadium and the acoustics were set up, it, they might as well have been three feet away from us. And they were, <laughs> you know, 850 <laughs> feet away. So that's crazy. You know, uh, did you see those guys, by the way, on Sunday? Port they were there here in Philly. They go down to the stadium. It's not on the radio. It's not on television. And there's still sitting outside that stadium i mean you know i gotta say I, it, I it's not for me i wouldn't do it i got a chance to hang out with them for about a half hour last year i went out in the middle of a game to see what it was all about it was re really cool people were awesome but i saw them on sunday going wow yeah that's that's a lot <laughs> yeah know? yeah i wonder i wonder how much of that though was and i i don't want to be debbie downer here but i wonder how much of that was coordinated with the team maybe you know maybe i also think it's like they've built themselves a little bit of a brand so you kind of have to yeah. strip while the iron's hot you know yeah. so you, you can't have the slip up there you know to go back to what you were saying there at the top about kind of being excited with this team it's interesting right like the, the thing that I've noticed, and this is a product, again, of COVID and the way that the team has had to set up its, its dealings with the media, but only a couple of reporters are actually down in Clearwater right now. We were talking about it. Uh, Gelb is down there from The Athletic, and then Todd Zalecki's down there from MLB.com. But uh, by and large, the majority of the media has stayed at home here in, in Philadelphia and the surrounding region. And so what happens is, you know, whereas reporters usually go down and they kind of get their, their inside scoops and they have a chance to build rapport with the players in a little bit more of a relaxed atmosphere. We're sort of limited to, hey, we're going to talk to Joe Girardi after a workout or after a game, and we're going to maybe get one player per day, you know, that the team says, hey, you're on Zoom today. And so we ask that player questions. We talk to Joe Girardi. And then, and I noticed this last week, 
all of our stories were the same, you know, like what, you know, Bryce Harper, for instance, talked to the media and he spoke for about, I don't know, I want to say maybe 20 minutes, let's say. And there were two stories that were pretty clear coming out of it. It was, you know, his back actually really did bother him last year to the point where he couldn't throw a baseball. And, you know, he's taking Bryson Stott under his wing. And I said, well, all right, everyone's going to write that story. And they should. I mean, that's, a, you know, that was the story mm-hmm. of the day. But as, as, you know, if you're me and you're writing for Crossing Broad, you know, we're not the Inquirer, we're not the Daily News, we're not the Athletic. I found myself writing the same stories that those guys are writing, and I'm like, this this is no good. So now that we've gotten the games going, it's it's been nice because it's like, hey, you can kind of read and react and kind of give your own thoughts about what's happening. But the the coverage aspect of it, it's like – uh, you know, it's well, it's, tough. it's really interesting that you talk about that because I, I literally I was on the phone last night with Frank Saravalli, used to write for the Philadelphia Daily News. Sure. He's now uh, a, a national hockey reporter for TSN in Canada. And uh, we were on the phone for about an hour and a half last night, just BSing about a lot of different things. And one of the things we talked about was how coverage of the sport, and it's like this for every sport, it has turned into everybody writing the same story. You can only really ask one question at a press conference. You really can't follow up or, or have a conversation with a player or a coach or anything along those lines. Um, and, and those things are, are, have kind of been, you know, we're a year into this now. And the question is, as members of the media, are we going to return to the way it used to be? Or are we going to pretty much be forced to continue to do this press conference style of reporting where, you know, maybe they will eventually let us back into a, into the building where we can be in a room and, and the players sitting at a table talking to all of us together, but that those, those small little one-on-one conversations hanging out in the locker room or the clubhouse, maybe they go away. So it's interesting. You really wonder because, you know, to take you through what, what a normal baseball game looks like. And I know that you've, you've done this yourself. I'm not saying you personally, I know you, you have experience, but if you're listening to the show and you're kind of wondering like, well, what's the difference between them sticking uh, Joe Girardi and, you know, Bryce Harper on a zoom versus what it would normally look like when you get into the flow of the actual regular season, say the Phillies have a seven Oh five game. They open up the clubhouse, maybe a shade uh, before or after four o'clock you're in there for about a half hour. You're bouncing around to, to different people's lockers saying, Hey, do you have a minute? I, I have a story idea. You're asking them one-on-one questions. Players are going to be more candid, I think, in that scenario. You're, you're developing a little bit more of a trust and a little bit more of a rapport. They're more likely to open up. Um, and so you, you get better information, number one. And number two, you just have more people that you can talk to, quite frankly. You know, you're not just being given one or two players or a player and a manager. And so you kind of have the ability to, to dictate who you want to speak to and, and who. I mean, they're not always going to say yes, but most of the time players are fairly cooperative, at least in the Phillies clubhouse. And so you're missing out on that element. To your point, I do wonder if we're reaching a point of no return. Like teams actually, I think, have to like it because – the players don't want to deal with it. They probably don't want to have to, to go back to the way it was. I think a lot of players view it as an inconvenience in general, uh, especially in baseball. It's kind of like an intrusion in their space. I think some of them view it that way. Some players like talking to the media. It's not everybody. But beyond that, the team kind of can dictate and control the narrative. You know, mm-hmm. once once games start, if the Phillies aren't good, they're going to be criticized. And, and then we write those stories. But right now, here we are, it's, it's spring training. This is a time of year where naturally you want to try to lean positive, give people a reason to be excited, to be interested in the team. 
And, you know, the, the organizations are basically able to, and I'm not saying it, it's, it's not their fault. I mean, they've been, I think, very cooperative with the media, but they are essentially saying, here you go. This is your story today. Zach Eflin, here he is. What do you want to ask him? Oh, he feels like he's worked on his curveball and his changeup and he's ready to take a next step. Well, guess what the next day's story is going to be? Zach Eflin's ready to take a, a, a big step and cement himself as a, a number two, number three type starter. And you see it in three, four different papers and websites, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of frustrating in a lot of ways. Um, and, and that's why, you know, when Frankie and I were talking about, it, we're like, you know, maybe it's better to just kind of offer informed analysis and don't worry about getting quotes and don't worry about what the, what the story of the day is that everybody's being forced or force fed um, and just kind of take it from that approach. I mean, you know, I know I've tried in a couple of press conferences with the flyers to ask a question that's a little off the, the, the track of what everybody else is asking. But at the same time, even if I get a response to it, I mean, usually I'd like to ask more about that same topic and I can't. So I'm forming, basically my goal is, is to form my own analysis around that and if the quote's good enough to use i use it if not forget it right um but i mean that's kind of what we're we're forced to do and so uh, it's interesting because fans are you know and the reason we're talking about this bob and i mean this wasn't even i'm sure on our agenda today um it just kind of came up uh, organically here but why i think it's important to discuss it for fans is because basically fans need to understand that what they're getting about their team for the most part is being fed to them through the media by the team's PR department. That's what the majority of your consuming of coverage of any team, but in this case, the Phillies is going to be. And, and, you know, some of you might view that in a positive light because you don't like negative stories and you always want to hear the positive stories about the team. And that's great. And that's all well and good. Cause you know, the media is really negative. Okay, fine. So you're going to be happy with that. But then there are people who are going to be like, okay, you know, you can't just always pull the wool over our eyes. We want to really know what's going on with, you know, why, why this guy is struggling or why this guy's not in the lineup or whatever the case might be. And, you know, once the season kicks on, kicks in and you guys are able to go down to the ballpark, you might be able to get a little bit more out of that because you can put a little bit more pressure uh, on the team to, to let you talk to specific people. But in the, in, in the interim, I mean, and I'll tell you right now, you know, with the Flyers, you, they usually, after a game or during a game, would ask you, who do you want to talk to post-game? They don't even do that anymore. Now you just get whoever the team picks. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's, it's okay. I mean, you know, they, they're, they're not terrible at picking the, the players. But sometimes it's like, man, I really wanted to talk to so-and-so because there was a play involving him, and, and they didn't give us him today. Yeah. And you know what? The Phillies are, are very lucky because now more, more than ever. And listen, I know that managers have post-game press conferences after every game. But it's really important to have a good spokesperson, uh, somebody that's good with the media, somebody who's articulate, and they've lucked out with Joe Girardi in that respect. Right. Because he's a guy that can kind of handle that daily grind. He doesn't come across as agitated. Like, I've been following him now and covering him now for uh, a little over a year, and and never once have I heard Joe Girardi really get agitated with a question. And, and you know, myself included, like, we've all asked some things that, that are probably, uh, you know, agitating, annoying, uh, frustrating yeah. for him to have to, to answer, but he's, he's been really good and he usually does a pretty good job of explaining things. And I don't want to say he's always the most forthcoming person, but by and large, he's, he's been pretty 
uh, pretty helpful, I think, to, to that end. What I thought was really interesting yesterday, and you know, we're, we got the game on the TV and we're watching it, and they had him um, on the broadcast for an entire inning. Yeah, during the fourth inning. During the, I guess it was the fourth inning. And when he's in, this is something I didn't even really consider um, because of all the COVID protocols. And they were asking him about McCutcheon uh, running the bases. And he went first to third pretty easy, you know, uh, on that double by Segura. And then he says, you know, that's probably a play in the regular season where we even send him home. He said, but I haven't had an opportunity to see him run because of how the, yeah. the camp is set up and they're in small groups and only certain people are allowed to be together and stuff. He said, so that was really the first chance I had to see him run. And to me, that's like, that's really op right? open and honest. Like you yeah. don't normally hear that from a, from a manager. Um, so to hear him be that, that open about it and say, you know, I'm in, that impressed me in the moment. That's pretty cool. Uh, and that's what I like about Joe. Well, you know, and, th and that's the other thing, uh, speaking of which, you know, it's kind of a, crazy to hear that, that Joe Girardi hasn't seen Andrew McCutcheon run yet. You would think that that would be on the, the priority list there. But Aaron Nola was asked yesterday, like, oh, you know, new pitching coach again and, and Caleb Cottom and, and what, what's that going to look like? And, you know, how's he how's he helped shape you guys here in the early going? And Aaron Nola's like, I mean, to be honest with you, like we've really not had an opportunity to work together at all. He's like, partly because the way that things are set up in our camp right now, guys are sort of off by themselves or limited to small groups. And he's like, we probably won't really get a feel for that until we get into the season and, and we're, we're throwing our sides in between starts. And again, it's like the same type of situation where you're like, Oh my God, like the, the new pitching coach really hasn't had like this intense interaction yet with his starting his most important starting pitcher. And, you know, it just goes to show you again, like we've all sort of like in our minds, I think said, okay, this is the second baseball season with COVID-19 and the realities and the restrictions and the differences, but it's, it's incredible the impact that this is having on the way that practices are conducted even. And I, and I wonder, I, I got to assume that, you know, every team's going through something similar to this, but I, I wonder if the Phillies are taking an approach with something like, I mean, you hear Nolan and, and, and Caleb haven't um, really had an opportunity to, to spend time together. Is it a situation, Bob, you think where the Phillies are looking at it and saying, okay, you know, we know Nola's our ace. We know Wheeler's going to be two and Eflin's three. And we know we got like two or three guys who are definitely locks for the bullpen, but let's let Caleb really look at everybody else and figure out everything else, you know, and, and, and you know, who we're going to have on this roster in four or five in the back end of the bullpen, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then later in the spring, once we kind of have those decisions in place, then we can have him, you know, really dive into our, our ACE and, and our one, two, three. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that's entirely possible. And again, you're just so, sort of forced into that situation. You know, we've talked about it on the show before I'm a high school baseball coach. So I run a varsity program. We start on March 26th, you know, optimistically four months ago, I would have said, well, we're outside. It's baseball. I'm not going to have to deal with COVID come March. I mean, wrong you know obviously cl quite clearly that's wrong so now I've got to devise practices even on a high school level now I know we're talking about apples and oranges here but at, on a high school level I can't have my top three starting pitchers near each other in a practice I mean I guess I could and I'm sure some coaches will, will roll the dice that way but I don't want them near each other you know because if if something happens god forbid and then all three of them are knocked out we're screwed right yeah. so I have to kind of separate certain players 
I, if I have a, a catcher and a backup catcher, I, I don't plan to have them anywhere near one another, which in a normal year, they would be attached at the hip, right? You know, right. but right. now I don't want those guys together. When you do hitting rotations and you have your three, four, five guys, typically you, a lot of coaches will group their better hitters together during batting practice rounds. Like these are all things that you have to kind of consider now. Do I need to tweak that structure? How, how spread out do we have to be? And so, you know, for a, a high school program, to think about that is one thing, but then you have to consider, you know, Hey, even at the major league level, even with all of the coaches that they have, they're still dealing with the same things here. Yeah. It's and, it's, 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 and, and it's funny because, you know, when you're watching these YouTube videos, I, I, I was kind of interested in the groupings, like who these guys are talking to. And you're like, it's just weird. Like you, you wouldn't think that this is the group that they would be with. And it didn't really dawn on me until I'm, I'm sitting there going, this is all COVID. This yeah. is all because of COVID that these guys are grouped with who they're grouped with. It's really kind of interesting how, how that comes, that play comes, uh, comes out to play. So yeah, it, it, it it's an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, they're going to, it's going to be interesting all spring because what's one other thing that I think that is kind of not talked about here, Bob, is they're playing the same, basically the same three teams. I mean, I got Baltimore twice and Pittsburgh twice, but you're basically playing Detroit, the Yankees and Toronto, 24 of your 28 games. Um, and it, while you normally play these teams a few times playing them this much, you're going to, you're going to get guys seeing guys a second, third time that they normally wouldn't. And that might tell you a little bit more about a, a player as a, as a batter or as a pitcher, um, seeing more regular competition that, that sees them regularly. So um, I think that that's a, an interesting dynamic that is going to be created and might help the team identify just who they want to fill out those last few roster spots. Yeah. So, you know, to kind of go back to something you said very early on in the show is that you feel sort of optimistic about this team and I'm going to do everything in my power not to give you a prediction or give you a win number. Or we'll save that for, for a little early month. Yeah. It's early for that. But generally speaking, I, too, feel fairly optimistic about this team. I mean, if you go back over the last two years, in 2019, it kind of felt like, hey, they went out and signed Bryce Harper. This team's arrived. They, they should make the playoffs. All the chips are on the table. Here come the Phillies, right? And for a variety of reasons, that did not work out. They come back last year, expanded playoffs, new manager, same players, some tweaks here and there this is a playoff team. We should feel good about where the Phillies are. They could compete with the Braves. They could compete with the, with the nationals, even though they just won a world series and, and it doesn't work out. It's a disaster. They go 27 and 33 fold down the stretch bullpen, all that, you know, the story you come back this year to me, if you look at the 2019 and 2020 teams and compare it with this one, this team is better. It's, it's deeper. I think that you should feel better about the, the middle of the starting rotation beyond Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler. I, I think that, uh, I'm sorry, Zach Eflin, I believe, is sort of legitimizing himself as a viable mid-rotation piece. I, I like the fact that they brought in some veteran competition, that you're not just looking at guys like Nick Pavetta, who frankly just doesn't mentally have it. I don't, I don't think he's I don't think his head screwed on right, per to be perfectly honest with you. And you're not relying on Vince Velasquez, you know, to round out your rotation. You have some different options. You have competition. I'm not telling you that whoever starts in, as a number four, number five guy for this team is going to go out and win 15 games apiece. But I am telling you that it should be markedly better than it was last year and the year before that. You look at what they've done to address the bullpen. They have competition. Only two or three of these spots are really, truly locked down right now. But you have... 
10 guys competing for those other five, six spots who are legitimate options. You know, you're not just closing your eyes and, and hoping. You're, you're looking at guys that have recent track rec- records of success, guys who know how to pitch, some, some veteran savvy mixed in with some younger guys that have upside like Connor Brogdon. You know, you have your Watsons of the world. You have your Archie Bradley's, a guy who's a legitimate back end of the bullpen type guy. There's like an interesting mix here. Mm-hmm. So when I look at it, the reality of it is this. The Mets are good. You know, they're, they are good. They are something uh, a team that you're going to have to deal with. The Braves, they've won the division three straight years. The Nationals are two years removed from a World Series. It's a really good division. And, oh, by the way, you know, I don't love the Marlins. I kind of think that the Marlins were a little bit of a product of a 60-game season last year. But considering everything that that team was, you know, going through, especially early on, for them to stick together, make the playoffs, do some damage in the postseason, it's a good division. And so that's the only thing that kind of just gives me some pause. If the Phillies were in the NL Central, I would pick them to win the division. So first thing I want to say is, because there's a lot there, um, if you, <laughs> we talked about last year, the excitement we had, and then how it all imploded. If you go back, we did an interview with Ruben Amaro Jr. Um, I, it was right before the season started. Yeah, I believe and, like the day the season started. Yeah, yeah, it was it was that 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 quick, and all we talked about was, is this a major league bullpen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it turned out, and then it turned out to be the worst bullpen in eighty years. You know, say what you will about us. I know that we are two <laughs> negative sons of bitches, but uh, you know, if you, if you go back and you listen to those shows, there's like two or three shows leading up to the beginning of the season where like, you know. I like this lineup, but man, this bullpen, I'm not real sure about that. <laughs> so that being said, I never in my wildest imagination, in my worst nightmares, could I have imagined that it that, would be bullpen that bad, would be that bad, but yes, <laughs> we had questions all along. Yes, we did. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that this is a top 10 bullpen as constructed, but at right. least it should be an average bullpen. League average, league average, which is what all you need it to be. Because if the lineup produces the way it produced last year, and again, 60 games only, but if they're producing at that level, you only need a league average bullpen to be a playoff team. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. Wouldn't it be nice if they just expanded the damn playoffs in the next three or four weeks? That would really open the door for the Phillies. You know, I, I don't or love, add or like, add the DH. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about it, man. And I don't love Washington. I, I know that I don't like Berger, them either. I get it, Corbin. I understand the, the starting pitching. I just don't like that team that much. I don't think they're that good. I think the Phillies are actually better than the Nationals. They are better than the Nationals. The, the, the lineup is not very good, Bob. And you even talk about starting pitching. Scherzer had a, a down year last year in his 12th. I mean, only 12 starts, but down year. Um, his whip went way up. Uh, makes you wonder if he's, you know, father time is catching up with him a little bit. Um, Corbin was terrible last year. I don't expect him to be that bad again. Um, Strasburg was injured. So you don't know what he what he's going to be. Um, I, I, I don't, I really don't like them at all. I, I think that they're probably the fourth place team in this. I look at those three guys and where they're at in their careers, some of the injury history, especially Strasburg. I just wonder, you know, we've talked a little bit about what's the impact going to be of, of jumping from a 60 game schedule back to a 162 game schedule. And I think that pitchers like Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Zach Eflin are much better equipped to handle that type of transition than the three guys that the Nationals are trotting out there. So when I look at those two dynamics side by side, I say, if that's going to have an impact, and I believe it will, 
that the Phillies are better equipped to handle that, that transition back to the full 162 than a team like the Nationals will be. That being said, I, I can get my mind around the Phillies being better than Washington. I think they're going to need a hot start and they're going to need some things to work in their favor to say we're better or we're going to finish ahead of, of Atlanta and of the Mets. You know, the Mets just have this like stink about them where until the Mets actually go out and do it, I always look at that team with a little bit of skepticism, but it's hard when you consider what they've done to sort of solidify that team, obviously bringing in Lindor on paper, they look like a 90 plus win team. The Braves to me look like a 90 plus win team. The Phillies, I could almost even make an argument that the NL East is capable of producing two of the wild cards, but the issue then goes out West when you look at the Dodgers and you look at what the Padres have done and you right. have to assume that those two teams are going to make the postseason. Right. And so that to me would leave one wild card spot available in the NL East. I think the Phillies will be kind of nipping at it, but again, they're going to need things I think to break right to, to actually, you know, kick down the door and get to the playoffs for the first time in 10 years. Yeah. Um, I, I, like you said about the Mets, I, they are a lot better, but I'll tell you one thing about the Mets. I look at that team and that lineup is really good. They got solid starting pitching with their bullpen does not inspire me a little bit. The bullpen it's, is the bullpen has question marks. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same stinky bullpen they had last year. They really didn't add anything to it. Um, and, and so like to me, are those guys going to, you know, they're counting on those guys bouncing back, but you need a bunch of guys to bounce back. And I, I wonder if this is a, if this is a Mets team that goes through a lot of the same frustrations early in the season that the Phillies went through. And maybe that impacts the race a little bit. I, I still, I still think the Braves are the class of the, of the division, but I think as good as the Mets look that that could be their, their Achilles heel. Yeah, I mean, the thing you have to consider about the Braves, too, you always look for reasons why the next year is going to be better than the previous year. You look at the Braves, and they had so many injury issues in that starting rotation last season, and they just were sort of immune to them. They just hit their way through it. They got the pitching when they needed it. Bullpen was pretty good. And they just, to me, you should see a, a better rotation out of the Braves, a healthier rotation out of the Braves this year. And to, to me, they are the class of the division, like you said. Now, one thing when I go back to the Mets, though, we always kind of overlook defense, and we talk about the impact of having the DH versus not having the DH. Mets really, really are built to have a DH at this point. Uh, you look at that defensive layout, and it's not very good. You talk no. about guys like Pete Alonzo and having Dominic Smith and Pete Alonzo. Like, that's not good. You know, th that team really, really needs the DH. And so uh, they're going to be taking a huge hit defensively uh, if there is no DH and it doesn't look like there will be if, if both of those guys are going to be on the field. So something to consider. Things can happen you know, and, and I don't think if you're a Phillies fan, you have to grasp at straws. I don't think you need to say, like, well, that's why they play the games. Like, this is a good team on paper that should be a lot better than it's been over the last few years. And so, yeah, I think that there's a real reason to be excited. The, the one thing that I find interesting, like, do I believe that the Phillies are, are going to go out and sign Jake Odorizzi? No, I don't. But the fact that that report floated out there last week, that they, they checked in. 
to me, that indicates that there's this, this willingness, this aggressiveness to say, if there's another opportunity to add, we are still interested in doing it. We're not going to get crazy here, but we're not done. We'll look around. And if nothing else, if they go out and play pretty well throughout the first four months of the season, maybe this is the year where we don't hear if we don't, we don't, this is, this is the year they go and say, we're going for it. You know, we right. went for it in the offseason. We were aggressive. We have Dave Dombrowski here. Here's a guy that can make some creative moves to push us over the hump. We're going for it. And, and I do think that that's in play for this team, so long as they don't go out and, you know, soil themselves in, in April through July. Well, you know what the funny thing is, is like, you know, you brought up on the last show just how important the start of the season is going to be because um, they play the Braves and the Mets what the first 12 games I think it is of the season, 13 games of the season is those two teams. And they're the two teams that you, you think you're going to compete with for the division. Right. So it's, you say how important the start is and you're right. But I started looking like just at the schedule in general. And I know the, the NL central is pretty weak and there's a couple of bad teams out West, but the way that it breaks down, the Phillies don't get more than like a, a series break between playing good teams and playing bad teams. Like, they don't have that stretch where you're playing several weak teams in a row. Again, on paper, we're looking at it, you know, beginning of the season here. Things could certainly change as the season progresses. But they don't really have a stretch where you sit there and say, okay, we well, you know, we played Colorado. They stink. But then you got to go right, you know, right after you play Colorado in April, you got to go four games in St. Louis. And the Cardinals are the one team in the Central who are, probably going to they're probably going to win that division because they're the one team that actually looked to you know improve their team in the offseason and you know and then if you look later in the year you say well you know well you can never say Miami's easy because the, the Marlins give the Phillies fits no matter what but even if you look at series with Miami previous to Miami you have Toronto following Miami you have Boston or Tampa I mean so you have teams that are not easy teams and it's really throughout their entire schedule I literally went through the whole year and I'm like man they don't have any breaks other than a series here and there this schedule is brutal for for any team but it's going to be it's going to be a tough one for the Phillies yeah I mean we'll see how it uh we'll see how it shakes out Uh, you know we talk about it but I think uh I just think at where they're at with their salary structure, the way that this team is composed uh, I, I, with the offseason push here late in the offseason to go for it. Now, every team can say that it's really important to start fast, but that's not always true. You know, you go back and look at the Nationals two years ago and they were arguably one of the worst teams in baseball. And then they went on to win the World Series. I don't think the Phillies are overcoming that type of start, though. So. You know, we've we've seen one game on television. They've they've only played two games as we are recording this. Uh, they play again uh, on Monday or on Tuesday here. I don't even know what day of the week it is. Uh, that that being said, you know, I don't want to get crazy about uh, spring training takeaways, grapefruit league takeaways. Two games in, it's 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 just a total waste of time to do that. Um, but one thing that is interesting, uh, we see that Odubel Herrera is going to get a start here in the third game. And that to me is something that uh, warrants a takeaway. And, and that takeaway is that I think they're actually going to give him an opportunity to make the team. And we talked a little bit about Odubel in the last episode. And listen, we don't need to get into the morality of it again. We had that conversation. Is it right or wrong? Would you cheer? Would you not? How are fans going to react? We can save that conversation 
for if he makes the team, we can we can come back to it. Just from a baseball standpoint here, he's getting a start in the third game of the the you know Grapefruit League schedule. To me, that says they're really looking at him. What do you think? Yeah, and I think that it's the right thing to do because if you're serious about being a contender and you're serious about going for it all in chips all in at the center of the table this year. Um, and, but you still want to find a way to not exceed that luxury tax at the start of the season. Maybe come July, you, you make the call to, to push past that. But at this point you want to stay here. You have a, a, a gaping hole in center field. He might be your best option. We don't know let the spring kind of play it out between him and Hazley and Quinn um, and, and let's, and let's figure it out. But if you really want to be the best team, he might be your best option in center field. Now he might, who knows? Be. he might be, uh, you know, we saw, and I love it called, you know, uh, best shape of my life season. Right. I, I wrote yeah. about this last week, but I remember growing up and, and being like at the end of high school and in college and, reading Dave Spadaro on the Eagles website, talking about guys like Mark Simino. Like, do you remember Mark Simino, Eagles yes. linebacker? Yeah. He's like a good instinctive player, knew where to be at the right time, but he was too little. Yeah. You know, he was terrible in the run game, just gets stomped on. And so you come into training camp up at Lehigh the next year, and it was well, Mark Simino's put on 12 pounds of muscle this offseason. And you go, hell yeah. You know, he's going to be an all-pro this year. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Considine, another guy, safety yeah. out of Iowa that they drafted, way too small. Just couldn't. Couldn't hold up, right? I put on 10 pounds of muscle. So, of course, we hear that Adam Hazley built a gym in his Orlando home over the offseason, and he wasn't happy with his body, so he's added some muscle. He's bulked up 10, 15 pounds of muscle. He goes out, hits an opposite field home run in his first at bat of the spring on Sunday against a lefty, which, uh, you know, the team usually doesn't give him an opportunity to hit against lefties. So that's encouraging, right? You know, it's only one at bat. It's one game. It's super early. But, you know, it's a nice little start. I got to tell you, I think that Adam Hazley is a major league baseball player. I think he could start on a team that's a, an average middle-of-the-road type team. I think if you're you're serious about – I think if you're serious about winning, I don't know that Adam Hazley has the ceiling necessary to be the center fielder of this team. And again, it, that is to say, if they are serious about being a playoff team, winning 88 plus games, getting into the getting into the postseason, I just don't think even with him being a former first round pick, it's not the current current front office's first round pick, you know, right? I, I just I don't see it. I truly don't see it. I know a lot of people are rooting for him. I know a lot. I mean, and he's and by all accounts, a great guy. You know, like I'm not saying I'm rooting against him by any means. I'm just skeptical. Like he's really got to be a guy that that shows it and shows it for a consistent stretch and so maybe Sunday was the start of a big spring for him we'll see on the flip side and I'll let you talk about Roman Queen and where you're at with him the, the other guy where you know speaking of best shape of my life and and needing to see it is Scott Kingery mm -hmm. you know there's this idea that he's he's about to break out, right? Like last year it was, he was too bulked up. Then he had COVID. Then he hurt his back. Now this off season, he's lost all of this weight. He's going back to being a, a more agile player, a guy that's going to be gap to gap focused. Okay. You know, he went over three in his first game, still way too early to tell, but I need to see it from him. Like if he goes out and hits 220 this spring and he's just like the least bad option, that's going to be really underwhelming. You really want to see one of these guys go out there and win this job this spring. I'll tell you this. I thought that there was something really telling. Um, 
and maybe Girardi let it slip, not even thinking about it because he wasn't talking about center field at the time. Um, but he was asked if there's room on the bench for two left-handed pinch hitters like Brad Miller and Matt Joyce. And his response was, our lineup is, is a little too right-handed. Well, if that's the case, how does Scott Kingery fit into that lineup if it's a little too right-handed already? Right. So yeah. t- to me, that might be a tip that he's not going to be the everyday center fielder unless he comes out and has, you know, a bonkers camp and, and wins the spot outright, you know, and takes it. But if, like you said, if he just has a mediocre camp, mediocre spring, he might not be the guy that they go to as the starter and he ends up being that super utility guy and plays, you know, five different positions and gives guys rests and gets, you know, 350, 400 at bats off the bench that way. I wonder how the 40 man factors into this um, with guys like Joyce, right? Like he's not on the 40 man. If he makes a team, they've got to find a way to get him on there. And it's not yeah. like the Phillies 40 man roster is, is so stocked with talent that like, God forbid you couldn't part ways with or make tweaks with, with the back end of it. But just a consideration, you know, that, that kind of causes a little bit of an uphill battle. But when you look at a guy, and I think that now with the DH not being in play, pinch hitting is going to be super important this, this season. It's a guy that's good at it. He has experience doing it. I think that, that he kind of slots in and potentially has a role. But you go back to center field, and I don't know. Can you see a scenario where – forget Odubel Herrera. Let's just say he doesn't make the team and they do whatever they're going to do with him. Scott Kingery, Adam Hazley, and Roman Quinn – all three of these guys on this team come April 1st. I can't see it. So, you know, I look at that situation, especially with Herrera as a factor. Let's just say he goes out and tears it up. Would you, would you be terribly surprised if Odubel Herrera has a really good spring? No. At least gets to the point where you say, like, from a baseball standpoint, they might need to consider this. Like, mm-hmm. I would not be shocked with that outcome. The only left-handed bat in the lineup currently is Bryce Harper. Let me think about that for a second. That's it's very unbalanced. You need and you need more lefty in the lineup. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm not mistaken here, right? If we go around the diamond, Hoskins, Segura, Gregorius, oh, Gregorius, Gregorius is lefty. Gregorius, yeah, yeah. So there's the other lefty. That's it. I mean, Bohm's righty, Real Muto, McCutcheon, and 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 so everybody else is right-handed. So you have two lefties, yeah. Gregorius and Harper. In an eight and six right-handed hitters. I think in a perfect world, you'd like to see a, a like a five-three split there. Right. No, right. I guess maybe a four-four, but I, I think a five-three split is is ideal, frankly. Um, so, so that's what tells that's what tells me that you have a better chance of a Hazley or a switch hitter like Quinn or or even Odubel as a lefty being your regular. I mean, even though it might be a bit, a bit of a platoon, but regular center fielder than you would Scott Kingery. Because otherwise, it's it's really lopsided lineup that that's not going to fare well against tough right-handed pitching. Yeah, well, that's definitely going to be, I think, the battle to keep an eye on throughout the course of the spring. And then, of course, what are the Phillies going to do uh, with the back of the starting rotation? And as we record this right now, we have no more of an idea of what that looks like or or how that's going to shake out than we did uh, two weeks ago or a month ago because you know we haven't seen either Matt Moore or or uh, Chase Anderson, or Vince Velasquez, for that matter, or Spencer Howard pitch yet. So well, let me let me ask you this question, Bob. 
with with Wheeler slated to pitch today, and we're recording this uh, Tuesday morning, um, and Eflin scheduled to pitch tomorrow. Does the does the pitcher that's slated to go on Thursday tell you that that's who the Phillies think has has a leg up on a rotation spot, or is it just is it just it's whoever's turn it is in that in that case? I guess we'll see. I mean, if if it's Vince Velasquez, I would say no. Like I don't okay. think, and I'm not saying that to. No, no, I hear you. Dump on Vince Velasquez. I just don't think that right now they envision him being, you know, the guy that has the inside track on one of those jobs, you know, right. Much like whatever the surplus, if you want to call it that might end up being in center field. I think the Phillies have a guy out there in Vince Velasquez who come the end of March doesn't make a ton of sense for this roster. Um, you know, and, and he, Vince Velasquez to me, and it's, it's, it's a shame for him, but he's the one guy who could go out and really have a good spring who I, it would just have no impact on me whatsoever. You know, I don't, I don't know how you, I don't the one thing you, I would say, yeah. the one, the one thing I would say is if he goes out and has a good spring, I maybe sit there and go, can this guy be a, a bullpen piece? Yeah. Maybe lower leverage kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, what I, if I, if he has a good spring and I have to debate between Vince Velasquez or David Hale as my multi-inning reliever, I would be okay with Velasquez and that, you know what I'm saying in that instance, because of, because of, you know, what he has in his arsenal. Um, but yeah, so that would be, but you, I agree with you for the most part, if he could have a good spring, it doesn't mean I think he can be a starter. Or be a he came in and, and said, you guys sign, you guys sign Vince Velasquez for $4 million. <laughs> what the, like what? Come on guys. You know, <laughs> Exactly how much money do we have here? Where did it go? You spent $4 million there, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, listen, I get it. And and in terms of upside, yeah, you make a good point. Would you rather have Vince Velasquez or David Hale? Yeah, Vince Velasquez, I guess. But for me, like the days of well, maybe he can turn into a viable starting pitcher, like that, not here, not for me. That, 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 that ship sailed. I'm sorry. Sure. Just no, you know, just can't do it again. He's, he's actually probably, when you look at his his baseball reference at this point, you look at uh, appearances all time, just even like the last 25 years for Phillies pitchers, like he's got to be inching up the list. You know, yeah. like when you think about it, like he's been here now for what? What is he, six years into this, this is, thing This now? is his sixth year, I believe, right? Oh, you know, uh, and a guy who's never really put together three games consecutively where you go, wow, you know, this is – you know, he didn't have like those Zach Eflin stretches where he would go five or six games and really give you something to, to believe in. It was always just like, oh, you know, he looked okay that one game and then he'd come back and fall apart the next. So, you know, I, I look at this rotation though and I'm really curious to see. Joe Girardi says he tries to give guys the benefit of the doubt the first two weeks of the, uh, of the spring, doesn't t- put too much stock in, in performance. But bottom line is that's a that's a big competition. And, and I think that that's he's being disingenuous if he says that these first couple starts aren't going to be evaluated in some capacity beyond just, you know, what's the velocity look like? Well, I, I think that he's being honest when he says the first couple starts aren't being evaluated for guys like Nola. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. They, they're just he's just out there. You know, I mean, well, he's growing. that responsible question about Nova the other day. And like, yeah, yeah. Come on, dude. Like, you know, to be yeah. honest with you. If, if Nova is going to be a factor in this rotation, then he's going to have to go out and, and do a lot better than record one out, you know? Yes. So I, I think that to be, to be honest with you, the way my, my read is, is that he's not really an option or a candidate to, to lock down one of those spots. Anyway. No, no, I, I agree with you. Um, although he's the kind of guy who 
probably would be willing to take a triple A yeah. assignment and then be kind of a if needed in the season call up to make a couple of spot starts. Yeah, listen, and I, I think that that's definitely I'm glad you mentioned that. It's not like it's an all or nothing proposition for a lot of these guys. You know, like it's not oh, if you don't make the team, see you later. Now a couple of them might say, hey, I'm out, you know, or mm-hmm. they might have options to kind of exercise themselves and, and and get out of town. But you're going to need six, seven, eight starting pitchers to get through this season. You know, it's just, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. The wear and tear and grind of 162 games in a normal year. You think about COVID, all the possible, uh, you know, protocols, people being uh, taken out of the the clubhouse for precautionary reasons, arm injury, strain from the the added games back on the schedule. You need seven or eight guys. So I think that when you look at what Dave Dombrowski's done, we can all applaud the JT Romuto move, and that's fantastic. But I really like the fact that he's built out this rotation where he's got eight different guys who could start a game and, and give you a shot, you know, at least give you a shot. And uh, that's something that all, not all teams have done. And so I think that he's positioned themselves, you know, positioned this team uh, pretty nicely in that way. One quick question I want to ask you about a bullpen guy. Um, and it was kind of funny during the broadcast yesterday because I don't think that, uh, Tom McCarthy and Ben Davis knew they were going to be interviewing Ramon Rosso <laughs> during the game because the way that Ben said, he's like, we have a guest. <laughs> and then it was awkward because a lot of the questions you could tell they were pulling it out of their ass uh, to ask him because they were completely unprepared for this. Um, so that was funny. But the one interesting thing I thought about that, and, you know, Rosso, I think, is kind of a fringe guy for the bullpen at this point. But he did talk about um, – uh, going to um, Cotham's. Uh, what's 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 his uh, pitching thing called? The company um, Driveline. Pr- yeah, Driveline. Yeah. Talking about going to Driveline in the off season and working on his uh, velocity and having it go up uh, three to four miles per hour just in the off season. And it makes you wonder. Say, you know what? Is there something there with this guy? You know that the team's putting him on the broadcast, and and uh, he has a, has had a little off season success working with the new pitching coach. That maybe maybe he's somebody that they're thinking about could p- potentially be a contributor at some point this year. Yeah, uh, maybe. You know, I, I got to say, like Joe Girardi liked his arm last year. It's part of the reason he was there from yeah. the start. Um, he's a guy though that's got to go out and throw the ball well. He was kind of erratic yesterday. I believe he hit a pair of batters, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, again, early, right? It's early, yeah. it's early, it's early. I think that'll probably be the name of uh, this show. But, uh, you know, listen, I mean, he's 24 years old, 25 years old uh, this season. Big arm. He actually pitched in the Dominican Winter League uh, this past winter and, and was pretty successful. He struck out almost 11 batters per nine. His whip was like 0.8 something. Uh, seemed like he kind of figured things out. It was successful down there for whatever that's worth. Um, good competition, mostly. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a candidate. I, you know, I think that there's two or three spots in this bullpen that are just open, right. Where when you, when you kind of go and map it out, you say, Hey, listen, Archie Bradley, Hector Naris. I think that they brought in guys like Kinsler to, to be a part of this. Um, mm-hmm. I think that Tony Watson's a part of this. If I had a guess, even though we're talking about minor league deals here, then I think that there's three or four spots where it's like, show me. You know, guys, and and if Watson and Kinsler are terrible this spring, I, I suppose they could pitch themselves, some, you know, out of the role. But I also wonder where a guy like Spencer Howard figures in. 
You know, when I look at Spencer Howard, I think that there's just two, two concerns here. Number one, uh, struggled a little bit last year. I wouldn't put too much stock in that, but I do think there has to be a little bit concerned about where his arm's at and its ability to handle uh, a full season. And so do the Phillies, I think they can go one of three ways here. He either pitches so well in the spring that they're just kind of forced to use him right from the jump as a number four, or number five guy he makes the rotation uh, and is on the opening day roster. Or do they try to say like, let's, let's try to build him up and, we like his arm. We want him on the team. We want him to get major league experience. Let's use him as a reliever. And so does Spencer Howard factor into the mix as a bullpen piece, or do they simply send him to AAA and let him get work down there and try to keep him on a schedule? So they have some options. And to me, you know, Spencer Howard's one of the biggest question marks and one of the most intriguing question marks of this entire, this entire spring. Yeah. It's interesting because I think Bob, that exactly how you mapped it out. I don't think that they know what they want to do just yet with him. Um, the one thing that you have heard consistently is that they want to watch his innings. Okay. That's fair. I, you know, you, you know, you want to be careful uh, with a young pitcher and that's all well and good. So I'm sure that they have like a limit on the number of innings that he's going to throw. The question becomes, do you want him to be part of that? We talked about that, you know, you need eight pitchers, eight starters. Do you want him to be part of that group where if you need starts, you can call him up from the minors and have him pitch mid season uh, as a starter. Right. Or do you want to, do you want him to be around your club all year and kind of, you know, take that one year as a relief guy, knowing that probably next year he joined your rotation. So to me, it's a tough call. It's a real tough call. I don't think he makes the team to start the season as one of the five starting pitchers. I don't either. I would, I would bet against that. And I know right. that some people listening to this are probably like, what the hell, you know, yeah, yeah. But- I just don't think that the Phillies make the moves that they made. Um, if right. they felt strongly that he was going to be in the rotation. And, and I think that, you know, I do believe that it's more about his usage than it is their belief in his ability. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be shocked if the Phillies after last season said, well, maybe he's not quite where we thought he was. This does look like a kid who went from double A to the majors. This does right. look like somebody who, and to be honest with you, just the context of his rookie season, he was just less than ideal. There were just a lot of different things working against him. So right. by no means would I write him off or say that he's not going to be what the Phillies once thought he was going to be, but I don't think he's going to be in the starting rotation to start the season. Right. Which, which makes me think that it, the better choice might be to send him down because if you're going to work on things and develop the player, you know, he went from double A to majors, maybe have that triple A experience. Right. Um, right. You're better suited to do it with him as a starter at triple A than you would be. Hey, fix. Let's fix some things while you're part of the major league bullpen. Right. So, I mean, in, in my mind, but they might look at it and say he makes our team better pitching out of the out of the pen as a swing guy, long relief, maybe spot starter kind of thing maybe that works and, and that manages his innings better and, and they move forward from there. But at the same time, I think that if, if what you said is accurate, that they, they think that he's not quite been baking long enough in the, in the oven, that maybe it would be better off if he went down just for the start of the year to work on some things, get some experience at the AAA level and then come back up at some point during the season. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I yeah. certainly see that. 
All right. Well, that kind of, I think, will uh, be enough for, for uh, March yeah. 2nd, you know, with two games in the in the tank right here. We've only got two games to kind of digest and, and break down. So we'll be back next week, kind of get a, a week of games, maybe a little over a week of games under our belts and, and take a look at where things stand and, and maybe go a little bit deeper on where these position battles are currently at. And I think as we uh, as we close out here, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, but when we come back in the next episode, I think we should do some some predictions, you know, and and not give the, the win losses or like where they're going to finish, but like we'll just focus in on individual players and, and give a, cool. a, some predictions about individual guys. I'm on board. I'm on board I'll, with that. We can talk a little not betting props, not for the purposes of wagering, but use some of the uh, the lines out there and, and kind of just take a little look at them. All right, sounds good. All right, sounds good. Hey, All one right. thing, one thing, just from around baseball that I thought was absolutely hysterical um yesterday uh did you see the interview with zach granke by any chance not. no i did not so granke was interviewed and they said you know do you have any goals and he says the one thing i wanted i've wanted and he's dead serious about this and then you know how i mean granke's granke's uh, a unique strange bird, cat but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's dead serious about this. he said the one thing that i wanted to finish my career with was 10 homers and 10 steals <laughs> he's at nine and nine but he's now in the american league uh, so is he going to petition the Astros, <laughs> you know, to pinch run so he can get that tenth steal, uh, or or you know have an opportunity steal? But I don't know about that tenth home run. I, I mean, interleague play is really his only opportunity, right? So um, yeah, I just thought it was kind of cool that like that's something. And he was dead serious about it. Like of all the of all the great you know seasons that he's put together as a starting pitcher that the thing that he really wants to complete his career with is 10 home runs and 10 steals. Hey, listen, he could end up in the National League. I think the Astros take a step backwards this year. There you go. That's true. They fall yeah. out of contention, and they, they just <laughs> had to flip Zach Granke to an NL contender down the stretch. You yeah. Know? Could that be. Something could be. <laughs> anyway, I just thought it was a funny little, funny little tidbit from around the league that it was worth mentioning. Did he just, like, give, like, the death stare into the camera? Yes! Like, it was total Granke. It was, it was exactly what he always does. That's why it was like he was dead serious, but he wasn't joking with the and the reporters are laughing along and he's just kind of, you know. Yeah. That's one guy, you know, you talk about Philly guys. That's one guy that would not have worked. No, no. <laughs> just, no he wouldn't. No shot. Fans no. would have had no idea what to do with Zach Greg. Yeah. But anyway. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this latest episode of Crossed Up for Anthony Sanfilippo. I'm Bob Wankel, and we will talk to you next week.